That's all he had to work with. Five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 hungry people. Could you do it? After all, Jesus promised that anyone who believes in him will not only do what he did, but do even greater things. So if we take Jesus at his word, then your five loaves and your two fish are enough. Enough to feed the hungry. Enough to shelter the homeless. To find the lost. To heal the broken and the sick. Enough to raise the dead. All it takes is your five loaves, your two fish, and a little bit of faith. We're not talking a mountain of faith. Just enough faith to ask God what you should do with your five loaves and your two fish. And then do it. So, here you are, with your five loaves and your two fish, and a neighborhood full of hungry neighbors. Could you do it? So today, what do you think we're talking about? It's the most famous miracle of Jesus. It's the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded four times in the Bible. It's so significant that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have an account of the feeding of the 5,000. And we really kind of believe that there were more than 5,000 there because the Bible says there were 5,000 men. And anywhere you have 5,000 men, there may be up to 5,000 women. There may be up to 5,000 children. So the conservative estimate is he fed at least 5,000. He may have fed as many as 10 to 15,000. And that's why this was such a significant miracle because there were so many witnesses. I've been in Atlanta in a, in a stadium that seated. Um, it was a minor league hockey stadium, but I went there for a, a conference and there were 15,000 people there, and I cannot imagine 15,000 people watching one miracle and word not getting out. So we're going to look at that today. Now, in this miracle, we're going to learn there's four key uh, activities that you need to do or four key mindsets that you need to have if you're going to prepare for a miracle in your life. And some of you are going to need a miracle this week. You're going to need some type of financial miracle. You're going to need a miracle in relationships with your spouse or with your children. You're going to need some type of miracle. And, and I believe God put this in the scripture to prepare us, to show us how we can be in line to receive a miracle from God. So let's pick this up in Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 34. If you have your uh, your smartphones, you can always uh, go to version Y-O-U-V-E-R-S-I-O-N.com. And if you look up 75801, 802, or 803, you'll find this on there. All right. When Jesus saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, so he began teaching them. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came and said, this is a remote place. Send the people away so they can go and buy something to eat. But Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said, that would be, take eight months of a man's wages. Now, I don't know about you, but anywhere there's 10 to 15,000 people um, and, and eight months wages, I don't, that would have been, you know, a denarius is what they got and so all of this. So I, I want to know how much you think it would cost to get a happy meal for 10 to 15,000 people. Was it about five bucks? Or let's say, let's say a number one meal deal at McDonald's. So do the math. How much is that? 10,000 people. How much is that? We have a smart math crowd here today. $10,000 if it's $5 a piece. What do they teach you out there at Grapeland? <laughs> now, Chandler, he was thinking two. He was thinking the Happy Meal. All right, we'll, get, we'll cut him some slack. Well, you have a problem anyway. They're going, we don't have enough money to do this. We're, and there's no McDonald's around. And so there's a real situation brewing. And so they, 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 
they realized they had a need. And here's the four things. The first of the four things you need to, to admit if you're going to have a miracle in your life. Number one is admit I have a need. Now, here's the thing about God. God doesn't force miracles on anybody. He waits until his children ask for them. And, and what they need to say is, God, we have a problem. Not God, I have a problem. This is what we tend to do. We tend to say, I have a problem and I'm going to fix it. And God says, if you want to do that, go ahead. But, but what we normally do, uh, we don't normally go to God, right, with our first reaction. Our first reaction is we, we either blame other people, that's one of my favorites, or we procrastinate, or we worry, those types of things. Jesus said, ask and it shall be given unto you. And some of you are going, oh, wait, 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 I've asked. I have asked, I have asked. Well, wait, before you say that, let's go through and see if you have the same attitude as Jesus' disciples did in this story. Instead of asking, they procrastinated, they blamed others, and they worried. So the first is procrastination. Uh, have y'all ever gotten those little things? They're the little pills. They're the magic growing, they're, um, growing animals or cars or whatever. You can put it in water and they grow. They're so disappointing. It takes forever. I had some, Hannah and I did it yesterday and it, I was just, I, I lost interest. I remember when they were kids, we would put them in there and they'd run in and they'd check it. Well, here's the thing. Anything that, that you procrastinate, does it help the problem? What does procrastination do? makes it worse. How hard would it have been for them to figure out that we're in a remote place, we've been here a long time, and somebody's going to get hungry? They were in the middle of the desert, and, and nobody thought about this except Jesus. Jesus was thinking ahead, but his disciples didn't. Now, I want to ask, how many of you, you regularly, you may not even want to do this, some of you are going to put this off, how many of you regularly put off dealing with your problems? Anybody willing to admit that? All right, we got a few. The rest of them are like, I don't know, maybe, I'll tell you next week. Does, does procrastination help with filing your taxes? No. Does it help with mowing your lawn? Yes. No, it doesn't. Because then some of you call me. Well, no, not if it's like eight feet tall. It's going to cost. I've, I've gotten old enough that if it's certain height, the money, I just multiply what I would have charged you because it's just bad. Does dealing... Does procrastination help when dealing with cancer? No. Procrastination always makes it worse. All right. Our second intelligent method of dealing with problems is to blame other people. It's not my fault. Now, this is kind of what the disciples did. They didn't want to deal with the problem, so they said to Jesus, Jesus, you're the star guy. Send them away. Out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, they were basically saying, we didn't ask these people to come out here, so we should not be responsible for feeding them. Let's get rid of them. You tell them to go on, find some dinner for themselves. Now, what I want to know is how many of you, sometimes you fail to take responsibility for the problems in your life? Yeah, some of us. Mama didn't love me enough, so I'm a donkey's rear end to women. I'm, that's not a confession. I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. Uh, my daddy was absent in my life, so I slept with every man who gave me any intention. That's definitely not a con confession, all right? Just <laughs> making sure we're, we're getting that this is an option for maybe somebody to check off. My preacher was a jerk, so I'm going to live like hell, and I'm going to blame God till the day I die. That sounds intelligent, doesn't it? <laughs> Blaming others, all it does is it keeps you stuck in a rut. And do you know what a rut really is? A rut is a grave with the ends kicked out. And if you stay in the rut, you will probably die in the rut. We'll just throw some dirt on you. The third intelligent way we handle problems is we worry. And again, all three of these, do these help? Procrastination, blaming others, worry, does it help your problem? 
No, it doesn't. It causes it to grow. If you prayed about your problems as much as you worried about your problems, you wouldn't have near as much to worry about. And by the way, if you know how to worry, did you realize you know how to worship? Worry is fixating on the problem. Worship is fixating on the solution. Now, make sure I did that. Yep, capital T, capital S. I'm not saying a solution. I'm saying there is a name, Jesus Christ, the name above all names, who has a solution to your problem. You fixate on him, then all of a sudden your problems don't seem so big. The disciples had it backwards. They were fixated on the problem. Eight months of a man's wages. Let, let's just say, you know, $3,000 is an average wage. Let's $24,000 to feed these people. Who wants to do that? Who wants to take the food out there? Because when I go to these conferences, they have the little carts that come out there. Chick-fil-A. Can you imagine feeding 10,000 people Chick-fil-A? I love Chick-fil-A. I don't want to cook it. I don't want to take it out there. I don't want to try to keep it warm. I don't want to pick up all of the mess. I just want to eat it. (laughs) Right? That's what the disciples were thinking. I don't want to deal with all of this. What they'd forgotten was who it was was with them. Jesus called himself the bread of life. And he realized he was born in the town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem actually means house of bread. So the one who was the solution to all of this problem was sitting right there and they're fixating on the problem instead of the one who could solve the problem. God has promised to ask to help us if we ask. So the first thing is we have to admit that we have a need. Step two is assess what I already have. Look around, see what I've got that I can offer to Jesus. He says in verse 38, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Jesus wants you to appraise your current condition. So the principle is this. God always starts with what you have. You are not responsible for what you do not have. Do you realize that? God doesn't hold you responsible for what you don't have. When we were trying to raise money for the land, we didn't have $20,000 to finish off so that we could buy this extra land. But what God said was give what you can. And so we prayed and several of us gave what we can. And I don't think it was an accident that we needed $20,000 and we got 20710 Because I think if we'd have said 30000 and prayed about that, then God would have provided 30000 I think it, he kind of matches the level of our faith sometimes. You're not, you're not responsible for what you don't have. So you take the energy that you've got, you give it to God. You take the time that you have, you give it to God. You take the money you have, you give it to God. You take the relationships, the talents, whatever you have to offer to God, you offer it to God. Now, people always accuse Christians of having blind faith, just blindly offering stuff to God. And that, that's one of the dumbest things you can say about a Christian because let me just give you a couple of examples that's not blind faith. David versus Goliath. Was David aware of how tall Goliath was? Was anybody in Israel not talking, anybody in the army not talking about how big Goliath was? Because they would come out in battle array and they would get there and then he would come out and he'd say, who will fight me? And they would all run and hide, Right? And, and so blind faith would have been David coming up and just closing his eyes. I'll fight him. Give me a rock. Marco, Polo. I mean, he knew exactly where he was. He went and got the five stones. He knew and he ran out the battle. He said, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? Because Goliath just taunted him. And he said, today I will defeat you in God's name. So it wasn't blind faith. He's very aware. How about, how about Moses at the Red Sea? My mind is kind of weird when I'm going through the scriptures and I think of things because I thought about blind faith. Blind faith would have been Moses, you know, just jumping. And God's parted the water. 
And thus did Moses die a rather spectacular death. I thought that's what you wanted, God. No, God said, raise up your staff. And God parted the waters and they, they went through on dry. Now, when, when, the, when the Egyptian army is right behind you, this is awesome. I mean, you need to go read this in Exodus chapter 14 because the, the army comes and pins them up against the Red Sea and, and everybody's looking at the army. They're coming. And it says that the, the pillar of fire and the cloud that had been going before them moved behind them. This is awesome. And it says that one camp, and I believe this was the Egyptian camp, was dark and the other camp was light so that the two camps never came to meet each other. The Israelites were very aware. There's a Red Sea. There's an army. We're going to die. And God parts the sea. They walk through. And then Moses told them before they walked through, he said, behold, you will never see the people in this army again because the water closed over them and they all died. They didn't. They didn't raise a finger for that fight. They were very aware. So it wasn't blind faith. What about Daniel in the lion's den? (laughs) I mean, close your eyes, jump in. Yeah, here, kitty, kitty. Let me pet you. He knew what was going to happen. He knew before he knelt down to pray, because remember, they were trying to catch him in his faith against God. They said, "This this guy is so righteous that unless we catch him doing something towards his God, there's nothing we can pin on him. He was the most righteous man around. And he went back, even after knowing there was a law that said, you will die if you pray to any other God. He got down on his knees and he said, oh God. So he was thrown in the lion's den. The uh, the king actually said, the king of Babylon actually said, may your God whom you continually serve save you. And then the next day, the king comes out and he says, "Uh, Daniel, did he save you? And, and he's like, oh, king, live forever. God shut the mouths of the lions. So, so don't you ever say that Christians follow God blindly. Christians are very aware of the circumstances. They just see a God who's bigger. If God can speak the world into existence, is there a problem that you have that he can't handle? He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I have asked him at time to time to sell a few and give us the money. Because I don't have cows. Now's a great time to be selling cows, right? So it's not blind faith. Don't ever believe that. God faith is my God is bigger than the problem. God says, I want you to assess what you have and I want you to look at it. And, and figure out what you can offer to God. Now, in verse 36, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. I love this. Lord, we've counted there's at least 10,000 people here. We need to send them away. And he says, you give them something to eat. He asked them to do the impossible. And they said, we can't do it. And then, then Jesus has them exactly where he wants them. Now, in the book of John, this is, I told you this in all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, verse 6, John chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. Jesus asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Jesus wasn't sweating the problem. He had planned ahead. He knew what was going to happen. He just wanted them to attempt to do the impossible so that they would realize they couldn't do it. Now, this next week, some of you are going to come up against impossible situations. And and a crisis is a crisis partially because you didn't know it was coming, right? And and you're going to come up against a crisis. Some of you are going to get that phone call. I remember where I was when my parents and my sister died. I was sitting right back there. It was on Friday afternoon. It was about 3 p.m. 
I was getting the slides ready for church. I normally do it on Thursdays. I don't remember what happened that week. And I was sitting back there typing. And I answered the phone because it's my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law never called me. My sister always called me. And I thought, that's strange. Answer. He's crying hysterically. He said, there's been a terrible accident. Your mom and your dad and your sister are dead. I wasn't ready for that. And in that moment, whatever I was going to preach that Sunday seemed really insignificant. And, and I couldn't get a hold of Janie. I don't know about y'all, but the women in my family, it, it, even when they're together, I call Janie, she doesn't answer. I call Rachel, she doesn't answer. I call Hannah, she doesn't answer. And so I'm, I'm bawling my eyes out and I'm going to get in my truck. I'm going to start my truck up and drive. And I thought, this is a bad idea. About the time I'm putting it in drive, she calls and she goes, what happened? I told her, she said, don't you dare drive. And they came out here and, and we sat and cried. And then several church members showed up and we sat and cried. And, and, and I remember I was not ready for that. But I can tell you looking back that having my church family around, I preached their funeral. And it was, it, honestly, I don't even remember what I said. I hadn't listened to it. I don't remember what I said at the funeral. People said I did a good job. I don't remember a thing I said, except I wanted to glorify God and say, this is not the end. I talked to my mom, my dad, my sister. They knew I loved them. I knew they loved me. And, and if this was the time for them to go, I was okay with that because I was going to see them again and I was going to cherish the memories. And to this day, when we have holidays, I don't sit around and weep and, and mope because my parents and my sister are gone. I say, man, they're in a place where they would never want to come back from. And I can't wait till someday I get to so go and see them. A crisis happens because you're not ready for it. And some of you are going to get a phone call. You're going, to, you're going to have something happen at work. You're going to go into work and you may get a little pink slip. You're going to have a phone call from the, from the school that, that says we have a problem with your child. It's a crisis because you weren't ready for it. But here's the thing. God already knows the answer to your crisis before you even know there's a crisis. Right? We don't live like we believe that. This last year, you know, my, my word for the year in 2014 was expectation. Janie's was trust. And, uh, and, and, and don't ever say that, oh, don't pray for patience because God will give it to you. Like he's mad up there and he's trying to, oh, I'm going to hurt you. Patience. Eee. But, but think about this. How do you get patience? It's not from having everything go your way. It's from being tested. How do you learn to trust? It's not from having everything go your way. And, and we learned a lot about trust this last year. We learned a lot about throwing out stuff before God and waiting in expectation. And God's done so much more than we could have imagined. So you come to God and you say, God, you knew this was coming before I even saw it happen. So you must have an answer. And God faith says, I'm going to trust you in the middle of this storm. Number three. Give God whatever you had. So you got to admit you have a problem. You've got a need. You've got to assess what you have. Then you give it to God. The book of John tells us that, that one of the disciples named Andrew found this little boy and the little boy gave the, the, his little sack lunch and it was five barley loaves and two fish. This was probably little dried biscuits. Um, it was probably something a little bit bigger than a sardine. This was the, the lunch of the poor in Palestine. And the little boy goes, sure, you can have it. And he gives it to him. Now, I'm, I'm sure there were some ADD or some obsessive compulsive people in, the, in a crowd of ten to 15,000 who probably planned ahead and had a better lunch. This little boy is the hero not because he had the best lunch. This little boy is the hero is because he gave whatever he had to God. That's the third principle. God uses whatever you give to him. 
Mark 6, 42. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He blessed the food and broke, it, broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. I don't know exactly how it happened, but as he's breaking it, it just keeps on showing up. There's more bread. There's more bread. There's more bread. There's more fish. There's more fish. I'd have been going, cool. I'd have been, I'd have been so shocked at what he was doing, I wouldn't have eaten. Do it again. Do it again. <laughs> this principle made me think of a bumper sticker several years ago. It said, uh, God loves a cheerful giver, but he'll take from a grouch. <laughs> That's kind of funny, but it's not true. Now, just to be clear, we'll take whether you're a grouch or not. We, we, don't, we don't discriminate. But scripture says that God loves a cheerful giver. And God's more interested in your attitude than the amount. And God says if, if you have a bad attitude, then you're not supposed to give. If you feel like you're pressured to give, we say this all the time, that guilt is not something that God uses. Conviction of the Holy Spirit, God convicts people all the time. But guilt, we don't want to guilt people into giving or serving or doing anything. If you feel like you know, you're being pressured, don't do it. And God says, don't do it. I don't need your money. He says, I don't need your talent. I don't need your time. What he wants is your heart. And that's what your money represents. That's what your time represents. That's what your talent represents is your heart. He wants your life. And if you don't give with the right attitude, God says, forgive it. And you realize why most Christians are miserable when it comes to giving? Because if they're generous, they feel guilty about it. And if they don't give, they feel guilty about it. And, and so I, I looked at this word. The reason they're miserable, look at the root word of miserable. Isn't that on there? There it is. Look at that magic. Miser. When I'm not generous my soul shrivels up. But just the opposite happens. When I am generous, and, and, and again, God doesn't want me to give what I don't have. But when I assess what I have and I give it to God, God blesses me in return. And I can't tell you exactly how God's math works, but I can tell you that when we give 10%, that God makes the 90% go further. And actually, we're doing the whole Dave Ramsey thing. We got, we got 10% that we give, we got 10% that we save, we got all these envelopes, we got stuff going on, and, and we have more financial margin than we've ever had in our life because we're doing money God's way, and we've done it for several years. I don't remember the first time, 2010, maybe when we first did Financial Peace University, so about five years we've been doing this, so God, ha- God blesses it when you do things his way. And that, that leads to the final point. Give God whatever you have, and then fourth, expect God to multiply it. I want you to see what happens next. Everyone ate and had enough. Now, here's the thing. It doesn't matter how many people come to Jesus. He keeps meeting their needs. And I want to ask you, what what do you not have enough of in your life? If you don't have enough time in your life, it means you are not doing your time God's way. You're not giving your time to God. And I'm not saying you should be up here all the time. I don't expect anybody to be here as much as I am. It's my job. But I'm going to give God what I, even if it wasn't my job, I would be here. I would be doing things for the church. If you, if you don't have uh, enough money, you're not giving God your money. If your relationships are jacked up, it's because you're not doing relationships God's way. Whatever you give to God, he multiplies. Verse 42, everyone ate and had enough. Afterwards, they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. Now, can you imagine little Johnny, the one who gave his lunch? I don't know. That's not a good Jewish name, but that's a good American name. So little Johnny gives his lunch. And can you imagine him coming home and, and his mom said, you did what? And he says, I gave my lunch to Jesus. And Jesus did what? He multiplied it. And what's all that stuff out here? 
12 baskets? Because see, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be kind of like Jesus? I don't know if it happened this way, but wouldn't it be cool if Jesus sent all 12 basketfuls home with this little boy and they're out front and his mama goes, did you put some of those little special mushrooms on your fish sandwich? Because I think you're hallucinating. You get close to somebody smoking something because I don't know. That'd be far-fetched, hard to believe, wouldn't it? Little boy said, I gave my lunch to Jesus. He, he fed everybody. He kept giving more than they needed an excess, excess of what they needed. And see, God has set up in the, in the world something called the principle of sowing and reaping. It means whatever you plant, you're going to get back. So if you sow criticism in your life, you're going to get criticism back. If you sow encouragement, you're going to get encouragement back. We talked about this attitudes last week. If you give away your time to help others, God's going to bless your time and give you more than you need. Money, reputation, anything. The universe runs on this principle of sowing and reaping. Have you ever thought about why? God set it up this way. Because he wants you to learn to be like God. And God's a giver. What, what is the most famous verse in the Bible? John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave. God wants you to be like him. If you don't ever give anything, you're not very much like God. God says, whatever you need more of, give to me and I'll multiply it. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. And some of you are going, it's not possible. I don't have time. I don't have money. I can't do it. I can't do it. Jesus said, all things are possible with God. And Mark 1027. And see, the whole key to this, this, this story we just read is that God works through people. God worked through a little boy who was willing to give his lunch. My kids, when they were growing up, they had this little piggy bank and it had three slots in it. One slot was for church, 10%. One slot was for savings, 10%. And one slot was um, for, for spending, 80%. And I remember my kids get a quarter, 10 cents, whatever it was, they put in, they could not wait to give. And then we had the baskets and they'd come and they'd say, daddy, daddy, I'm about to give. And they would tell me before they ever left home, I get to give to God today. What happens when we grow older? Because my kids never thought it was a duty to give. But a lot of adults think it's a duty to give. God worked through a little boy. Little boy gave his lunch. Then he actually worked through to the, the disciples. They got to be servants. Wouldn't that be cool? Hungry people everywhere, and they're serving. They didn't do jack. Little boy gave it, Jesus multiplied it, they pass it out. So what I want you to realize is sometimes what we're waiting for God to do for us, God wants to do through us. Like sometimes we're waiting for God to do a miracle in our marriage, and God wants to do a miracle through our marriage. Does that make sense? Sometimes what we're waiting for God to do for us, God wants to do through us. Let me give you just a quick example. We're starting a new ministry at New Life and it's going to be under the real life um, relativism, real life assistance for some kind of people, single moms. But it's not just single moms. This is, it, we are going to do this under single moms ministry, but it's not just single moms. We're going to do a food box ministry. And we're going to start collecting things. And the first thing we want you to do on, on the first, uh, February 1st, Super Bowl Sunday, we want you to bring um, canned goods. If you go to the store and you get some extra canned goods, you can, whatever you bring, uh, whatever you buy, we want you to bring. And we're going to start putting it over here in one of the rooms at the house. And we're going to have food boxes that we're going to prepare ahead of time. When somebody has a need, they'll come in, they'll fill out a little form, we'll give them a food box. We hear about a single mom that has a need, we're going to fill up a food box. We're going to ask you at different times to do um, unperishable things. So if you get, if you get like toothbrush, household items, toothbrushes, toothpaste, things that we can store over here and have ready at a moment's notice. And, and we, we, we know that there are people all over Palestine who need this, and we want to have a source.
source that, that we can point them to. But we're not just going to hand stuff out. We're going to ask people if, if, they have, you know, if they have financial issues, we're going to provide for them to go through Financial Peace University. If they can't afford it, we'll pay for it. And, and we're going to have folks, if they have drug issues, we're going to get them in to celebrate recovery. We, we want more than just to hand them food and say, see you later. We want to help them get to a new place in life. Now, so on February 1st, whatever you get extra that you can, just bring it. We're going to put it up here at the front, and then we'll take it over to the house, and we'll start collecting boxes. We'll start collecting stuff. We're going to do this the first of every month. We're going to have you bring something for the storehouse, and then we're going to be able to give stuff away. We're going to start blessing people. We don't know where it's going to go, but we know that this is something that God wants us to be a part of. Now, if you are... If you're going to, if you're going to do these four things, admit that you have a need. If you're going to assess it, you're going to give to God, expect him to multiply it. You can expect four things in 2015 to see some miracles. I mean, flat out miracles that God will do in your life. Some of you are going to have your marriage put together. Some of you are going to have physical healing. Some of you are going to have windfall prophets come your way. I don't know. God gets to choose how he's going to bless you. All right. That's the thing about being God. He gets to decide what the blessing is. Second thing you can expect is to grow spiritually. If you're not interested in spiritual growth, then please don't come for the next few weeks because we're really going to talk a lot about spiritual growth. We're not going to pull any punches, so you can go visit somewhere else. Just come back later. Number three, you're going to be hassled by Satan. When people get serious about growing spiritually, Satan will try to tear you down. He doesn't want this church to grow. He doesn't want you to grow. He doesn't want marriages put back together. He doesn't want drugs, uh, people who are on drugs to get off of drugs. He wants to destroy your life, so he's going to hassle you. But the fourth thing you can expect is to experience joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness depends on what happens to you. Joy is in spite of the circumstances. And that's why it's supernatural. Now, over the next few weeks, there's going to be, there's going to be three different reactions. This isn't on there. This is just for free. Some people are going to, they're going to serve. We're going to give you opportunities to serve in the church and in the community. Some people are going to do it just because they're spiritually mature. They're going to do anything we ask them to do. Because they don't need an emphasis to do that. They do it all the time. There's going to be some people, though, that refuse to give, refuse to serve, refuse to get involved. And that's okay. A lot of those people are just in pain. And what do you do when people are in pain? You minister to them. And I want you to think about this. This, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be real. When you're in pain, sometimes you're very, very selfish. So we will minister to you, but we won't wait on you to do what God's called us to do as a church. Right? Right? We will minister, we will love, we will pray, we will encourage, but we can't just stay where we are and go with God at the same time. And then some of you just, some folks are not going to get, some people, this is kind of interesting to me. Um, Teresa ran a five-year history of the church giving, and we found out that every year the church giving has gone up. But this year, the last two years, we've had fewer people giving than in previous years. Strangest thing I've ever seen. Because I, I knew the amount that was given had gone up, but the number of people giving hasn't. And, and I, I, don't, I don't even want to try to analyze all that, but I'm just saying there are some people here who are sacrificial givers, and I believe God's going to bless their socks off for that. But there's also some people here who've been here long enough that you shouldn't just be sitting. We, we have children back there who need the love. What I pray every week is that kids that come in, I pray for the workers, first of all, that they'll pay attention to their lesson because the lesson is good <laughs> and that they'll come prepared. And then I pray that every kid that walks on this property will feel the love of God. 
And, and, and I, I just think that's what Jesus did. He said, let the little children come unto me. So the most important thing that happens on Sunday mornings, I think, goes on back there because that's future generations. And some of you need to be involved in that. Oh, well, I want to hear, I want to be in big church. First time Janie's been in big church in, in six or seven weeks, and she did it because Hannah was being baptized. And one of the things I love about my wife is whatever needs to be done, she'll, she'll do it. And, and I don't even have to ask. And she'll do it. And a lot of times I won't ask her because I know she'll do it. And I'll try to get somebody else to do something because she, she will wear herself out. We need more people that say, sign me up. Whatever you need me to do, I'll do. Be careful saying that because we will plug you in. And you don't have to stay there. That's the cool thing. If you go back there, we had uh, somebody come out one time. They went to the, to the older kids. And I, I, I love any kids. I can, I can hang out with any kids. Some people can't do that. Somebody went back and our older kids, and they came out and their eyes were big and, and their hair, they had hair. It was all over the place. And they said, I can never do this again. And we're like, we don't want you to because you're scary. <laughs> and they went to another class and they loved it. Or they found out another ministry they could do. So you try and, and so... So there's going to be people that don't want to do anything, and, and that's okay. But don't rob others of the blessing of, joy, of, of serving. Don't rob us of the joy of doing what we want to do in the service of our king. Now, here's the thing. We're going to finish with this. I want you to pray two things. One, I want you to start praying, God, help me, you, to grow spiritually in the next six to eight weeks. Just a very simple prayer. God, I need to grow spiritually. Wherever I am, I need to move towards you. And then second, I want you to pray specifically that God will do some miracles in the people in new life, but in the people of God all over Anderson County. There are people all over this county that believe that God is real and God still does miracles and God still changes lives. And there are people all over this county that that believe the church is the hope of the world because y'all realize this thing's going to last longer than any of us, right? Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his kingdom. And so we want to invest our lives in things that matter. And, and, and just sitting on your rear and soaking up a sermon and, and being no different when you walk out the doors, that, that doesn't matter. Let's do something that lasts. Father, we just want to pause now and tell you that you're awesome and we ask you to do some things that cannot be explained in human terms so that we don't get the glory, you get all the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.